Without further ado, uh, welcome to the latest in the Balderton podcast series. I'm joined again by James Wise, and this week we are talking about crowdfunding. It's been a pretty big week for crowdfunding. Crowdcube uh, this morning announced six million pounds worth of funding led by Numis, and uh, we're also participating against alongside uh, Draper Esprit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Numis, of course. Uh, of course, Cedars also announced some funding this week. So, crowdfunding is the hot topic. What we'll be discussing, what James wants to bring to us all, is how crowdfunding not only is getting more people involved with the investment, which I think everybody knows, but how it's also encouraging uh, diversity within the investment landscape. So, so James, kick us off. Yeah, I mean, it's been a huge week in terms of funding announcements, but sometimes I feel the headlines in tech journalism in particular focus on the funding rounds a bit too much. If you actually look at the figures, there's been even bigger milestones breached this week. So obviously last month we had the huge milestone of the first crowdfunded company exiting. Uh, So e-car club selling to Europe car. You know, normally when there's an acquisition of a of a company like that, we look at which investor made money. In this case, a crowd of investors made money uh, who had invested through the CrowdCube platform. So it's a great milestone. A lot of people raise concerns around will there ever be liquidity on these platforms? That's starting to happen. You know, 3x returns, very comfortable, I think. On top of that, a couple of milestones for CrowdCube. Uh, I think they've just hit the 200,000 uh, accredited investors on their platform who, who, who are live and receive information about the kind of things they can invest in. And uh, they're just about to hit the 100 million pounds invested through the platform milestone. And so when we think about the success of our company, certainly, I think what we're looking at is those types of KPIs. And as a result, there's been huge amounts of interest from the broader investor community. So you've got institutions, uh, but quite a broad array of institutions. These aren't your normal venture funds. These are people who traditionally don't invest massively in large tech platforms. So you've got people like um, Woodford Fund and uh, Lord Rothschild, who's been investing in in Cedars and uh, to help them expand into the US, excitingly. There's uh, Numis, who's much later stage financing, normally investing in Crowdcube to help them go up the line and provide more services, such as IPOs, to the crowd. And uh, I, I think alongside that, interestingly, we've got Tim Draper and Draper SV, who a lot of the stuff they do is focused on the Silicon Valley, uh, coming to London, investing in the fintech solution here. So there's milestones in the funding, but more importantly, there's milestones in the development and the roadmaps of these companies. So does that help almost legitimize crowdfunding as an equity-based industry because i mean there's been articles written in the past that almost take that legitimacy away and see it almost as a bit of a flash in the pan do you say the recent developments fly in the face of that yeah of course i I think whenever you introduce uh, any type of financial innovation or almost really any type of product there's always going to be uh, eyebrows raised and and of course because it, just like in health tech, um, fintech is a highly regulated industry, as it should be, um, because it's a very serious industry. You know, you're not just talking about downtime on a server here, you could lose people's money. So it's incredibly serious. Um, I think, rightly, there's lots of uh, criticism uh, sometimes of the industry, but um, also there's a lot of attention paid to it and making sure it's on the right track. And whenever you disrupt a heavily regulated industry, there's always going to be vested interests who are against it. There's always going to be people who are sort of particular uh, pay particular scrutiny to that company. Uh, and financial innovation is, as a result, a little bit slower uh, than other areas of uh, certainly technology and software that we're used to. Um, but I, I think a lot of this progress is positive and shows that perhaps some of the criticisms leveled towards crowdfunding were, were a little a little naive. And what's the most uh, pointed of those criticisms? You mentioned sometimes rightfully that criticisms were were uh, directed towards crowdfunding as a wider industry um what do you think was the most 
potentially the most relevant, the most the criticism that was most meriting of heed from the crowdfunding industry? And have they dealt with that? Have they responded to it? Yeah, so, that, so there's, a, there's two big uh, issues, I think, crowdfunding platforms have been trying to overcome. So one of them is, is the offering they're making sophisticated enough uh, to investors to offer them real returns? Or is this just the leftovers from the professional investment industry? That's one thing. I think that's a completely fair concern. You know, we need to make sure, and and for full um, disclosure here, sort of I'm borders over on Crowdcube and uh, Balderson were one of the first institutional funds ever, I think, to invest in a crowdfunding equity platform, which some would say was in direct competition with what we do on a daily basis. <laughs> we like to think of it as rather complementarily, uh, complementary. But obviously, we've also invested in companies like Zopa. Um, there's, there's companies like Funding Circle, all, 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 all in this um, debt and equity lending space. An investment space. Um, but they all are subject to the same criticism, which is they have to do property diligence. They cannot allow these platforms to be abused by um, people who aren't able to live up to the claims. They have to provide transparency. They have to provide proper checks. These companies aren't committing fraud. And there's, there's a huge challenge there for them to overcome, which is what was historically done by banks. And I think that is a really important uh, aspect to the industry. I think it's something they need to improve on. I think the second big criticism was not that the crowdfunding platforms didn't know what they were doing, but that the crowd didn't know what they were doing. And this is the one I actually have more of an issue with. Because I think this is one that's been leveled against financial innovation for since you know since we've had uh, um, sophisticated systems, which is uh, if you let people on who, you know, open commas, don't know what they're doing, they're going to make bad financial decisions. Or in other words, don't do it for a living. Yeah, don't do it for, exactly. If you let non-professional investors make investments, they will get it wrong. And this this line of argument frustrates me incredibly. And actually, I think one of the more pernicious aspects to it was during the credit crunch when, you know, obviously, there's huge amounts of money taken out on mortgages, and they not some of those weren't sustainable in an economic downturn. And as a result, you know, we suffered severely as an economy. And basically, a lot of, a large part of the professional investment space said people are too stupid to take mortgages, which is a ludicrous conclusion to come to. There, you know, people took um, financial risks and. In crowd keep in investing, wherever you're a professional or amateur, you do take risks. That's the point of investment. And sadly, as a result of those risks, some people will lose money. That is the nature of investment. That's why you should never put all of your eggs in one basket. That's why uh, you shouldn't be, you know, overly leveraging. That's why people shouldn't, you know, overly to take more risk than they can handle. But it is widely accepted if you're going to make these investments, there's risks involved, and there's also returns involved. And the, the real issue I have of it is the idea that there are these haloed professional investors non-crowd people like us who should be trusted to move around huge amounts of money and of course with the right systems and the right track record i think it's important to put your money with those people but the this, the idea that the crowd can't do that that they can't um, put a little bit of assets to work here sort of really frustrates me and so that's criticism i'm sort of trying to reject so the assertion the assertion of the the coterie of professional investors is that normal folk don't know what they're doing but things like e-car club where normal folk have made three times on their money after e-car club exited to, to europe car that as i say flies in the face of that that's the that's the point in a nutshell. yeah and i think i think that there's there's obviously sophisticated investors will always um have some advantages in certain areas probably because they're specialists we have to remember that a vast majority of the people in particular on crowdcube and cedars who are putting money into companies have expertise in other areas so I think it's fantastic that there's platforms now which allow someone with, say, expertise in agriculture to look at a farming company and really review it for what it is. And historically what's happened is companies who are in 
areas which the city haven't deemed as high value, so outside of tech and pharma, have been locked out because there haven't been specialists in the city providing them with enough capital. They've relied on the local bank manager who may not be an expert in farming or may not be an expert in retail. And at the same time, investors who have those expertise but perhaps haven't got the accredited uh, you know, stamps from the city have also been locked out. And now what we're seeing on crowdfunding platforms is people with far more diverse skill sets people from all across the country and people a far more balanced view of a society in total and in particular in terms of gender balance of people investing which hasn't been done before because there has been a very small number of professional investors based predominantly in London um, with a particular skill set and background moving most of the capital around now that does work in certain areas but I think crowdfunding is a great example where that can work outside of the specific niches and expertise that have been promoted by the city so you're saying that crowdfunding has fundamentally changed the type of people that can invest in businesses. They don't have to be these rubber-stamped guys usually that work in the city. They can be experts in all sorts of different fields. Does that then change the kind of businesses that receive funding? Do they go looking for different prospects? Uh, Are businesses, as a result of crowdfunding, uh, getting funded that potentially wouldn't only two or three years ago? Yeah, certainly. And now I'm not sure if, I mean, that is definitely happening. Uh, Partly because there's more capital, so there's more liquidity for companies. And just partly, as you said, because there's a broader range of investors. So I think there's a a stat, um, so I read recently around, not just crowdfunding in the UK, but crowdfunding globally on on all the major platforms uh, around, in those platforms, around 43% of the companies that get funded are female-led. Now, you compare that to the venture industry we operate in, only 4% of the companies are female-led. So there's a huge structural imbalance there. And you could argue, therefore, the crowd have a huge advantage in being able to escape perhaps some historical network effect or structural inconsistencies within venture and invest in new types of companies. It's the same with um, skill sets and it's the same with geographic spread. Once again, most investors are based in the city. The strongest network for gaining investment in Europe almost is really London. But crowdfunding allows people from anywhere with any kind of geographic exposure to discover companies local to them, understanding local, using local knowledge and make investment decisions based on that. So, With all of that in mind, with the fact that crowdfunding is opening up the uh, investment market to new entrants, as it were, to people that hadn't put their money where their mouth is in terms of company investment before, how does crowdfunding as an industry scale responsibly? Coming back to your earlier point that you need to make sure that these people, uh, these wannabe investors, do know what they're doing, you know, that they do understand the risk. How does it scale without pulling in people that may not have that kind of uh, experience or know-how or knowledge? Yeah, so the number one thing has to be transparency, right? You have to provide all of the information. You have to make sure it's accurate. And this is a burden on the platforms. They cannot allow people to abuse these systems by putting up false information, um, by misleading people, using misleading language and just in the same way as traditionally advertising industries have been regulated and other financial products have been regulated it has to be um, the case that opportunities on crowdcube opportunities on seeders opportunities even the public markets are heavily regulated this right are, are very clear and transparent and accurate in what they're presenting and and ultimately i think there should be a body which already is being set up amongst some of these um, peer-to-peer lenders in particular which crowdcube is part of um, trying to lobby about you know regulation in this area. And I think the government owe it to the industry to start thinking about proper regulation. Now, the reason why government owe it is because we are in a very privileged position in the UK. We have um, a relatively supportive system of uh, tax incentives for people to invest in these companies, to invest in new and up-and-coming companies. And we also have you know, some of the biggest platforms. And Crowdcube is the biggest equity crowdfunding platform in the world, you know, processing £100 million. There's no one of that scale. Um, 
And so we owe it to make sure that this industry is properly supported and properly regulated so it can continue to grow, so that CrowdQ can take on IPOs, so that people like Cedars can think about moving into the States, expand globally, so that we can attract European and international capital into businesses through these platforms. And is that campaign, is that... uh is that moving forward? Is, there, is, is the government listening, I suppose, is the question. Is is it too young to really know that at this point? Uh, I suppose you would assume that the UK government would be most receptive, uh, one of the most receptive bodies in the world to that kind of discussion because, let's be honest, the UK led the way when it came to equity crowdfunding. You can't really do it anywhere else in the world. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, there's it, there's different areas and, and Crowdcube has, is, op- is live in three or four different countries as well across Europe uh, and the US has a relatively complicated regulatory system System, but does have some ways of of uh, exposing yourself to capital. And of course, AngelList is a type of way of doing it. It's not exactly the same. Kickstarter is a fantastic example of how you can you know, create new products on the crowd once again. It's not the same as equity crowdfunding. Um, but yeah, the UK government should be taking the lead on this. I think that they are, that policymakers are aware um, that it's a, an important sector. And if you look just in London alone, there's a, a London co-investment fund uh, recently set up just a small pot of money to encourage more startups in London um, because we need them. <laughs> and um, of the, that money was given to other professional investment funds and some of it was given to Crowdcube, which is a fantastic endorsement of what they're doing, but more importantly, a sign that there is support from the government for these kind of platforms. I think that there has to be a lot more thought taken to that and there has to be a lot more consideration to how um, this improves the economic competitiveness of the UK and how it can do that in a responsible way. So let's assume that the regulatory uh, environment in the UK moves forward in, you know, in the best possible light. That crowdfunding is able to expand to attract new investors onto the platform and further companies that want to get funded. I know that you have some thoughts on how that will change if crowdfunding goes even bigger, attracting more uh, investors in. How that will change uh, society's perception of where their money is and what their money does and and how and uh, what they own. So. Please, let's, let's hear a bit of that. It's just yeah, fascinating stuff. I mean, I think that the, the there's a few different parts to this, right? But I think the underlying premise for um, uh, for a lot of people, when they look at crowdfunding, is they think, oh my God, I hope, you know, let's hope this doesn't encourage irresponsible investment. And I think what's really important is that crowdfunding might just position itself going forward to show that actually it is the bedrock and way people learn about responsible investment. Because it's no longer the fact that I have to have a million pounds in my bank account to invest in fast-growing companies. I can have 10 to 50 pounds. And as long as I'm properly educated about that, as long as I'm really aware of the risks, as long as I'm given transparent and fair information and I have uh, role models and information that, I, that, that can advise me on, on how to do this, which is all available online, which is through the platform, um, we can actually use these platforms to help educate people about how investments, private investments work. And this could have a revolutionary effect on the way people think about um, allocating their assets in this country. I think that both across Europe, across the US and, and, and uh, elsewhere, in the last generation, last 30 years, a lot of people saw their major equity uh, investment as their property, especially in the UK, right, and uh, major urban cities. And that's just not possible for another generation. It's not going to be possible for another generation, and the policy framework isn't there to support, support it. And so there's a lot of people now who feel that they've been locked out of, uh, of, of the property cycle, which is the way most people invest their, their assets. And increasingly, we're losing ownership of other assets, which people used to take uh, for granted, used to take as a bedrock. So fewer people uh, own a car. Um, you know, fewer people will 
well, people will more generally use shared products, shared, uh, whether it's uh, services, um, whether it's um, items or, you know, goods or whatever. Um, and as we do that, I worry more and more that people have less ownership of things. So crowdfunding, in a way, can be um, a movement for change where people who are increasingly locked out of common um, assets like property, what used to be common assets, are now able to get into assets they were previously locked out of, which is equity investments in small companies. Locked out because they were from the wrong background, perhaps. Locked out because they just weren't educated enough and they hadn't had the same um, formal education and, and training to be aware of those opportunities. And locked out just because of the capital sums normally required. Technology is giving them the opportunity to get into those asset classes, which, are, which can be fast growth, can be high risk, um, but can be highly rewarding. And I think that's a really interesting way that crowdfunding can help develop a new type of investment, a new way of thinking about asset allocation in this country. That is, I would say, quite a quite a, a, a radical view in, in, in one way or another, because I guess if I went and spoke to even my, my nan, my, my aunts, that kind of thing, they'd understand that you have your savings and then also you've got money locked up in your house and that's where your money lives. And maybe there is a car on the drive that you could sell if you needed your, needed your roof retiling, something like that. And you're proposing a system uh, by which people start to think of assets differently, that they could almost uh, hedge their money or their their value that they have into different things like different businesses and uh, and such like. Yeah. Do you think that is? Do you think that's a realistic proposition that people can get their get their arms around? Yeah, I think that it's a really. I, I think that this movement's happening. I think the shared economy movement, the idea that we all share assets. Uh, is an incredibly powerful one, one which is really becoming a reality. At the same time, there has to be a shared ownership, right? That's that's the other side of the shared economy, right? You have to share ownership, really, uh, to avoid you know extremes of inequality. And I think that this, the idea of uh, crowdfunding, isn't just stopping at companies. Clearly, it's starting in property already. As a property planner um, in the UK and Home Fund and, and a few other competitors in the UK uh, doing crowdfunding around property, um, there's crowdfunding of products, obviously through things like Kickstarter. There's crowdfunding of uh, charity campaigns like GoFundMe and stuff like that. Obviously, not equity ownership within them, but once again, it's the idea that mass pots, small amounts of money through a mass pot, can really make a difference. I think that you know historically in this country, the trade unions were crowdfunded movements, right? This wasn't a wealthy benefactor saying, I want you to come and com campaign against my factory. It was lots of people with small amounts of assets with a common goal, pooling those assets and putting them towards something. And I think that this movement's been strong in the UK and, and hopefully will continue to be strong and move into different se sectors. At the same time, I think what's really interesting is it getting deeper into the into the equity sector. So not only broadening out across other asset pools and giving people opportunities to have shared assets, but also getting deeper so that we no longer think perhaps of a world where there's wealthy public companies which need a you know huge corporate banker to to IPO at and only the wealthiest people, the most influential people can get into that IPO. Uh, and then there's other private companies which are completely illiquid. I think crowdfunding, because of the platform effect and the ability to cheaply share information and cheaply take payments, may allow us to start creating a, a sort of a more liquid market for those kind of investments, make an IPO cheaper, for example, or make private companies secondaries more liquid. I think in that way, you start opening up a whole new way of thinking about ownership, which uh, has been incredibly important in the past to this country, and I think hopefully will be even more important going forward. And the, just as one final example, you know, I think we work in the uh, technology industry, and the technology industry has lots of structural flaws in terms of, uh, you know, the equality of the workers and everything else. And you could go on forever in the problems I have around the technology industry. I think one thing they do tend to get right is shared ownership in the company. That 
if you work for a tech startup, you're expected to get some ownership, no matter what level you are in that company. So you all benefit and you all share in the gains of that company. Now, obviously, you you take that in lieu of other assets of you know maybe a higher salary, maybe it's higher risk job, um, but you do get rewarded if the company does well. And I love that concept. I love the concept that you all share in the benefits of the company. And I think. That is already commonplace in the technology industry. I think hopefully it will become commonplace in other industries, that people will share in the gains, and that crowdfunding is one way that people can share in the gains of the industries they're most passionate about and the products they're most passionate about. Carrying on the the theme, I suppose, of relationships between uh, investors and uh, things that they invest in, to focus on Balderton and the relationship with, with uh, Crowdcube, just for one question, is it order or was it difficult or an odd idea when Balderton first approached Crowdcube to say, yes, let's put our money in an investor who, as you say, in certain lights could be viewed as a, as a competition to a VC? Yeah, I mean, it really was. I mean, and, uh, you know, there was a slightly more... Crowdcube didn't take external funding from a professional investment fund until its Series A, when it raised $5 million, uh, uh, sterling uh, last year. Because it raised from its own crowd. and Because it, it raised from its own platform, which is a fantastic endorsement of what it does. And I think that we, we had to over come some regulatory hurdles and we had to overcome some psychological hurdles to it but when you're thinking about you know, our job is to think about how technology can be leveraged to disrupt huge industries in particular in Europe we're you know we've done a lot in fintech I think there's there's a huge advantage that we have in Europe of, of uh, our regulatory environment sort of allowing you to be slightly more innovative in, in, in fintech with less capital and within the fintech space, obviously crowdfunding is an important part of that. So disrupting our own industry seemed like a natural way, in, in a sense, for us to to grow as a fund. Now there are you know things that we can leverage, uh, which um, you know make crowdcube an exciting opportunity for us. We can you know share perspectives, we can share due diligence, uh, we can you know push people who perhaps aren't ready for us. We can share crowdcube, and sometimes our companies will go on crowdcube to raise more capital. There's obviously clear areas where we have to be very um, uh, distinct both in the branding, we obviously don't share certain information if it's confidential either for Volderton or confidential for Crowdcube. Um, but generally speaking, the partnership's been a very uh, beneficial one. I think we've both learned, certainly sitting on the board, I've learned huge amounts from what they do and how the industry is developing. Um, and we've seen uh, companies like Just Park, companies like Azuna, who were uh, invested in by venture capitalists, now going to the crowd and using Crowdcube for distinct reasons, which I think they've really benefited from. So the crowd is uh, no longer, as it was for a few years, seen as where young tech companies raise their seed funding or raise their, their early money, and then they go to VCs next. That, yeah. that process is getting shuffled, getting mixed up. Yeah, it's completely changing. And I think that, I can't remember the biggest fundraiser in the UK now for a crowdfunding company, but I think it's well north of £5 million, which obviously is, is the sweet spot here at Boulderton. So they're directly in competitive uh, competition with us in that sense. And in fact, the opportunity for crowdfunding is much, much broader because we are specialists. We're niche. We're kind of geeks. You know, we like <laughs> looking at a certain sector around software and hardware and understanding how that plays out. Right? That is a tiny part of the overall private company market. So crowdfunding has the opportunity to seize huge amounts of value and create huge amounts of value for um, people who traditionally relied on their bank or traditionally relied on uh, a couple of wealthy mates to fund their companies. They now have a million new people in this country who I think would easily uh, consider crowdfunding as 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 an option and and possibly a few million more once we uh, educate people more about it and it becomes more common practice um, to appeal to. Not just the 
nine people who sit in the Balderson Investment Committee, all the 1,000 people who sit in the city doing these kind of investments, but you know, potentially the 70 million people in the UK and the, you know, the rest of the world. So the opportunity for scale is huge with crowdfunding? I think the opportunity for scale is uh, phenomenal. I think that the challenges are very considerable. And I think that the journey ahead is going to be uh, a really important one. I don't think it's just about building a uh, fantastic company, in the case of Crowdcube or other platforms. I think it really is about broader financial education. I think it's about broadening accessibility and transparency in finance. And I think it's about innovating in an industry which really has locked a lot of people out for a long time.